But we're talking about anger. And you could feel the anger, you could feel the anarchy, the chaos. But before I get to anger, last weekend we talked about the topic of racism and discrimination. Let me just say this. My goal last week at, weekend, as we looked at James chapter 2, was simply to begin the conversation. It was simply to take the next step. I have no idea how to solve the issue. This is an issue that we've been dealing with, discrimination, since the beginning of mankind. I don't know how to fix the issue, and that wasn't my goal last weekend. It wasn't meant to be comprehensive. It wasn't meant to give every perspective. It was to take that first step. In fact, I've had a couple of churches call me. One from New York City yesterday said, hey, we would like to get some of our churches together, and we would love you to come here and give that message to our congregation, to our city. And I'm like, well, I'll do it, but I don't know how to fix it. But we got to talk about it. We got to get it out there. But I understand now, and having taken that step, that last weekend, uh, we kind of sent a message to our law enforcement community that uh, they were the problem. And I got to tell you from the bottom of my heart, that was never, ever the intention. In fact, if you've been around Hope for a while, you know how we feel about law enforcement. You know how we have an incredible track record of supporting and being behind law enforcement 100%. In fact, see, I still believe, I'm old-fashioned, I believe Romans chapter 13, verse 1, that God says, as Christians, you are to submit, make yourself subject to the authorities that God has placed over you, whether you like them or not, right? And I think we often think about, you know, under Paul, that was Nero. I think we think about senators and congressmen and presidents, but see, I believe that law enforcement is an authority that God has placed over us, and we have an obligation as Christians to be respectful and to honor that. And so I called my nephew who helped me start the church 22 years ago. He's now a lieutenant with the Cary Police. And I said, I want you to know that if I offended you or anything we talked about offended you, he said, to be honest with you, Mike, I didn't pick up on that at all. But he says, I've been around Hope for 22 years. I know the track record. So I just want to go on record and say, if we said something last week that made you feel like you were the problem or we were putting down what you do and we were not being supportive, I, I cannot apologize enough to maybe the hurt and the stress and the pain that I called you. I got one email from, uh, she's the wife of law enforcement, and she sees what he deals with every day, and every day she wa he walks out that door, and she wonders, will he be back home this evening? And I understand that too. So I hope that you will accept my apology. Uh, please forgive us. We didn't want to do that. We just wanted to begin the conversation. And that's why we have those panels here, and I hope you come. We had several panels where we've had police chiefs from every city around here to come. So as we were going through some of this tension we were going through, we could get a proper balanced perspective. And we'll continue to take that journey together, so please forgive me. By the way, talking about forgiveness, one day Jesus was with a group of people. And he was just kind of explaining the process that a couple of individuals would go through if their, if their relationship was broken down, how you could restore the relationship. And Peter must have been listening in the crowd that day, and Jesus must have said something that reminded Peter of an issue that was going on in his life. And I say that because immediately after it's over, it's as if Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, Hey, Jesus, I got a question for you. How many times do I have to forgive someone? And I take it by the way he asked, it's someone who has offended him or hurt him or abused him over and over and over again. In other words, where do I get to draw the line? When do I get to say enough is enough? When do I get to go like twisted sister on him? When do I get to get all bowed up and say, I don't, I'm not going to take this. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. But in asking that question, it's interesting. Peter revealed a common misconception about the nature of forgiveness. And I think that maybe at some point in all of our lives, most of us have suffered from the same confusion because, see, Peter's assumption was that forgiveness was for the individual who had hurt us. And so Jesus, as he often did, didn't give a straight answer. 
he decided to tell a story. It's a familiar story. You've heard it before. Let me just read it to you, beginning Matthew chapter 18. You can follow along on the screen, beginning in verse 23. Jesus said, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, so we're talking millions of dollars in our currency, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. So here's a guy that maybe owes him $63.22, right? And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. Look at this key phrase. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Verse 34. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. Now notice verse 35. Jesus says, let me sum it all up. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now understand, Jesus told this story because in our lives, whenever someone hurts us, there's always this sense that something has been taken from us, that somehow this debt has been created. And basically, forgiveness boils down to identifying what's been taken from us, what has created that debt. Maybe someone took our self-esteem. Maybe it was our respect. Maybe it was our time, maybe it was our trust, maybe it was our innocence, maybe they took our money. But Jesus says forgiveness boils down to identifying what was taken and then canceling the debt. Jesus says that's what it means to forgive. Now here's the problem. Often as Christians, we have a habit when someone hurts us or offends us to say, you know what, I'm gonna forgive that person. And I believe that one of the reasons that we say that is because of what we just read in Matthew chapter 18. Because Jesus made it very, very clear that we have to forgive the person that offends us. We have to cancel the debt or he's going to turn us over to the jailer to be tortured. In other words, God is going to make our lives miserable until we actually deal with the person and let it go so that we can move on. And all of us who are Christians realize, well, that's not going to turn out well, right? So we say, you know what, I'm going to forgive. But here's what happens. We say we forgive, but we don't really deal with it. And as a result, this hurt that we've experienced from whatever we went through, it gets locked up in the vault of our lives. And if it remains unchecked, this is what happens. Over time, that hurt turns into anger. And that anger will begin to grow. And eventually, it is going to consume us. Right. This is what I want you to know. You can say you forgive, but until you get to the place where you can actually forget, you're going to have anger issues. We've got to learn not only to forgive, 
but forget. You say, well, Mike, how do, we, how do we actually forget what someone has done to us? I mean, don't you remember everything for the rest of your life? Let me tell you why forgetting is so important. And I'm just going to give you three practical reasons, which most of us practice in our relationships anyway, but we don't realize it. Here's the first one. Forgetting reminds me that if everybody remembered all my mistakes, all my sins, all my failures, all my shortcomings, I wouldn't have a chance. And neither would you. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I wonder how many of you would show up on the weekend and listen to me teach if you knew me the way Laura knows me. See, that's why she's not here. No, I'm just kidding. See, you know what would be better than you knowing me the way Laura knows me and still coming to hear me teach? You know what would be better than that? Would be knowing me the way that Laura knows me and my sins and my shortcomings and my failures and be willing to forgive and forget so that we could move past and move on. I'm going to let you in on a secret. There's enough junk going on in all of our lives that we would destroy this place if it wasn't for the grace of God. In fact, if you're here this weekend and you think, man, I don't think I'm good enough for this church, you're probably too good. Because at the end of the day, you look around, we are nothing more than a group of sinners, a group of losers set free by the grace of God. And it's only by the grace of God that we can even keep it together as a church, as a family of God. So that's the first one. Forgetting reminds me that if everybody remembered all my mistakes, I wouldn't have a chance. Here's the second one. Forgetting enables me to be big and encouraging, not petty and negative. I'll tell you something. I don't know about you, but I pretty much know something bad about every person I'm in a relationship with. And guess what? Nearly every person who's actually in a relationship with me and knows me, they know something bad about me. And the reality is this, in all of our relationships, if that's what we focus on, we probably wouldn't be involved in any relationships. So what do we do? We choose not to focus on those things, right? We consciously make a choice that we're going to forget it, we're going to put it behind us so that we can move on. So forgetting enables me to be big and encouraging, not petty and negative, which leads us to the third. Forgetting frees me to live for the future instead of being chained to the past. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes. Now, here's the big question in all of our minds. How do we really forgive the person who's hurt us so that we can forget it, release the anger, and move forward? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 this weekend. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the verses up on the screen. But Ephesians chapter 4 is actually originally a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a small group of Christians, a small church in Ephesus. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul spends a great deal of time establishing and explaining our new relationship that we get to have with God that's been made possible through what Jesus Christ did for us. And as he writes this letter to this church, he basically says this, in Christ, you are forgiven people. And as a result of that, you live in a constant state of forgiveness. And because of that forgiveness, you're not the people that you used to be. Therefore, you can't live the way that you used to live. And that includes how you treat one another. And that's why he writes in chapter 4, verse 1, chapter of Ephesians, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And if you drop down to verse 25, he begins to give us some hints, some insight of how we actually live this way, how we bear with one another in love. Verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. We would say that's key. 
For we are all members of one body. But then notice this next phrase. In your anger, do not sin. If you were to read it in the Greek, literally it says this. Be angry. Be angry. And do not sin. And so Paul tells us, it's okay to be angry. Now here's the question. Why is it okay to be angry? I think Paul says it's okay to be angry because there are times in your life where you just don't have any other choice but to be angry. Now, when I talk about anger, I'm talking about legitimate anger. I'm not talking about anger that we feel when we don't get our way. I'm not talking about the kind of anger you feel if the election doesn't go your way. I'm 60 years old. Sometimes you're on the winning side. Sometimes you're on the losing side. Life goes on. We're still here four, eight years later. Doesn't really matter that much if you're honest about it. I'm not talking about that kind of anger. I'm talking about the kind of anger we feel when somebody hurts us, offends us, betrays us. It's the kind of anger we feel when we discover that somebody stole our work, presented it as their own, and took the credit for it. It's the kind of anger we feel when someone we trusted and loved talks about us behind our back. It's the kind of anger that keeps you awake at night. It's the kind of anger that drains your energy. It's the kind of anger, anger that makes you have those imaginary conversations. You ever have those where you're driving, boy, I tell you what, if I ever get a chance, I am going to set them straight, and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind, and I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to hit them with this, and they're going to fall on their feet and their knees, and they're going to beg me to free. I mean, you have those imaginary conversations, right? It's the kind of anger where, man, you're so hot that if somebody spit on you, you just fry, right? It's the kind of anger where, like, twisted sister, you're like, uh-uh, done. Ain't taking that anymore. And you bow up like, I'm taking matters into my own hands. That kind of anger. And again, Paul was no psychologist, but he has a great insight. He says, go ahead and feel angry because you can't control how you feel anyway. In other words, he says, don't do the Christian thing, the pious thing, the spiritual thing. Where he says, well, I'm a Christian. I really shouldn't feel that way, so I'm just not going to feel that way. Paul says, don't do that. Just go ahead and admit that you're hurt that you're ticked off, that you are so mad, you are angry. In other words, what Paul is saying is this, it's okay to feel anything, but it's not okay to do anything. It's okay to be angry. Even God is angry, just read the Bible. But you gotta be careful with what you do with that anger. You don't let it turn into sin. In other words, we're never allowed to, we're never to allow our anger to control what we do, what we say, the decisions that we make. And I think that's pretty good advice because I don't know about you, but over my life, I've gotten into a lot of trouble because I acted on my anger. I've said things I wish I could have unsaid. I've done things I wish I could have undone. I've decided things I wish I could have undecided. And it's because, if you want to be honest, it was because I was so angry and I thought I was so justified in my anger I just assumed, well, if I'm justified in my anger, then I'm justified in my actions. Paul says, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. You've got to separate the two. There's anger, and then there's actions. And he says, you cannot allow your anger to control your actions. And that sounds good in theory. Awesome. How do we pull it off? Well, when you get to verse 26, Paul gives us a great insight that helps us make sure that our anger doesn't control us. This is what he says, and we've talked about this before. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Another Paul says, you can be angry, but you've got to learn how, you're, how to deal with your anger in a timely manner. In other words, it's okay to be mad because you've been hurt. 
But it's not okay to carry that hurt. It's not okay to carry that anger around with you for so long that it begins to impact and affect your attitude, your actions, the words that you say. So Paul says, listen, to avoid that, deal with your anger as quickly as possible. And he suggests, make sure you do it before the sun goes down. Maybe Paul's thinking when you go to bed at night and you pray and you talk to God, maybe you look back over your day and say, if there's anything, just deal with it right then. Now, I'm not sure that he means this Again, literally as much as figuratively, because as I said, if you live in Alaska and somebody offends you early in the spring, you got three or four months that you can hold on to your anger. And I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think what he's saying is this, deal with it in a timely manner. In fact, here's a good principle, deal with it before you go to sleep. Don't carry around unresolved anger. Now, why is that? Because Paul says, if you don't deal with it, eventually... It's going to cause us to sin. In fact, here's the truth. When we're angry, our sin potential goes through the roof. Because eventually, it will cause us to do things and say things and decide things that later on we will wish that we could undo and unsay and undecide. But it doesn't stop here. Because here's the deal. Sooner or later, our unresolved anger, it will begin to spill over in other areas of our lives. Our unresolved anger will begin to spill over in other relationships in our life. I mean, you can count on it. So Paul says, you can't live that way. You've got to stop the cycle. And the way you stop the cycle is you learn as a Christian to live with your, to deal with your anger quickly. In fact, he says, if you want a principle, kind of take account of your day and deal with it before the sun sets. But there's another reason that this is so crucial, and this explains why hanging on to our anger or just locking it up in the vault of our life isn't acceptable. It's not respectable. It's certainly not tolerable. And it's because, see, if we don't deal with it quickly, and we've all experienced this, we will eventually lose sight of what made us so angry. In other words, if something happens to me, if someone hurts me, abuse me, abuses me, betrays me, and I don't deal with it by nightfall, or maybe the next night, or next week, or next month, or maybe... Maybe next year, what happens? Well, eventually my circumstances change. My environment changes. The scenery of my life changes. Eventually, I'm not around that person anymore. Eventually, maybe I'm not in that relationship anymore. Eventually, maybe I have a different job or maybe, maybe I'm in a different marriage. But even though my circumstances have changed, if I haven't dealt with my anger, if I haven't resolved my anger, I will just carry it with me. And for that very reason... There's a lot of you listening to me right now who are really, really angry. And if someone were to come up to you after the service and say, wow, what are you so angry about? You would probably point to someone in your life right now. You'd say, my spouse, my child, my coworker, my neighbor, my roommate, right? See, the real issue lies in a relationship that you've forgotten. Maybe a relationship that you're now distant from, and because the sun has set so many times, you don't even realize, wow, you're not the problem. She's not the problem. That's not the problem. What happened to me years ago, that's the issue. That's the real source of my anger. And so you carry it around. You don't know how to resolve it because honestly now, you're not really sure where it came from. And I think a lot of us operate on the assumption that, you know, I'm so mad. This is what I need. I just need some time. 
I just need some space. I just need a change of scenery. I just need a different environment, and I will be okay. And that's, that's kind of like getting into a car accident. And you're laying off on the side of the road, and your bones are broken, and you're bleeding, and, and you call for the paramedics, and, and they show up. And you say, you know what? If you'll just get me away from this environment, I'll be okay. So you do that. You think, man, if I could just change my environment, if I could just get out of this marriage, if I could just get out of this job, if I could just get out of this relationship, if I could just get a new if I could just get a new roommate, I would be okay. So we tell the paramedics, just get me away from this environment and I will be okay. A paramedic would never do that because they know that wherever they take you, you're going to take your injuries. You're going to take your hurt with you. And in the same way, a lot of you, if I'm honest with you, you've left some accident sites in your past. It may go all the way back to your childhood. It may be from your marriage that something you've never really got resolved. It could be something that happened in your career or maybe, maybe a friendship. And your thinking was, well, now that I'm away from him, now that I'm away from her, now that I'm away from that environment, I'm going to be okay. Paul's like, uh-uh. You're not going to be okay. You actually have to deal with it because even though the scenery has changed, it doesn't mean that the hurt has been healed. And I'm telling you, only going through this process of forgiving, forgetting, releasing the anger will bring healing. In fact, look at the warning that Paul gives us in verse 27. He says, do not give the devil a foothold. Now this is the picture of a Christian who's been hurt, they're angry, and they decide instead of releasing the anger, they're just going to hold on to the anger. You met someone like this, they're going to be a victim for the rest of their life. Everybody they meet within five minutes knows why they are so hurt and they are so angry. They just locked it up in the vault of their life, right? Paul says, when you do that and you're a Christian, you are basically inviting the devil into your life. By the way, this Greek word translated here, foothold, in other places in the New Testament is translated stronghold. In other words, the devil moves into your life in such a way that you give him a stronghold, you give him a base of operation. And from that base of operation, he can begin to impact other areas and other relationships in your life. And by holding on to your anger, Paul says, you are giving the devil an opportunity to do that. He doesn't take it from you, you give it to him. In other words, you're basically saying, hey, Satan, come on in. Happy to have you. Feel free to spread as much chaos in my life as possible. Feel free to spread as much chaos in my relationships as you would like. Paul says, you can't do this. So he says, I know that there are people that have hurt you, that have abused you, that have offended you. I know that even now there are people that are on your case. They get under your skin. They're bombarding you and attacking you. But you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot allow the sun to set even one time on your unresolved anger. You got to forgive. You got to choose to set it aside and forget it so you can move forward. In other words, you can't afford to run the risk of storing up anger because it will give the devil a foothold that eventually will manifest itself in other areas, other relationships in your life. Now, here's the big question. So, Mike, how do you do that? How do you forgive in such a way that you can set it aside and you, you can forget it? How do you develop that kind of spirit? Because in reality, that's what we're really talking about. That's what Paul is calling us to. Well, when you get to verse 32, he says this. Be kind and compassionate to one another. 
And it's interesting, he says forgiving. And the Greek tense of the word forgiving there is literally keep on forgiving. So it reads this way, be kind and compassionate to one another. Keep on forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And how did God forgive you? Well, when God forgave you, when he forgave me, when he forgave us, he forgave us of all of our sins. Even the sins we haven't even committed yet. You say, Mike, how, how do you know that Jesus died and he forgave us of all of our sins? Because he's not going to die again. He's only died once. So he's forgiven. So in Christ, understand, if you are in Christ, your past sins are forgiven, your present sins. The sins that you're going to commit tomorrow, they're already forgiven. You live in a constant state of forgiveness. I live in a constant state of forgiveness. I am a forgiven person. You are a forgiven person. That's how God has forgiven us. He forgave us immediately. And he forgave us completely. And we live in that constant state of forgiveness. You say, well, Mike, don't we have to ask for forgiveness? Yeah. You know, but not necessarily so you can be forgiven. We ask forgiveness to restore the fellowship. To make sure we understand what happened. So he can clean us up a little bit the same way that when he said to Peter, hey, listen, if you've already bathed, but your feet get a little dirty, we've got to clean those feet up a little bit. It's to restore the relationship. But you've already been forgiven and so with that in mind, Paul tells us that we need to forgive as God forgave us. But for that to happen, just like with God, we have to decide in our relationships that we are going to forgive regardless. We are going to cancel the debt regardless. Even as God has forgiven me, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to forgive you. Now here's the question. What does that look like? Well, this is the way it works for me. Every day when we wake up, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to begin to think about the difficult people in my life, the people that are just causing me grief. We all know who they are. We know who the people are that have hurt us, that have betrayed us. We know who the people are that have broken our trust. And so I, I suggest this is what we do. We begin our day by saying, Jesus, right now I want to thank you for forgiving me of all my sin." I want to thank you for canceling all of my debt. And I know that so-and-so, you fill in the blank. You know who it is. I know they're going to come after me today. I already know they're going to be negative. I already know they're going to be critical. Say the same old thing. Rub me the same wrong way. But Jesus, by faith, before it even happens, I'm choosing now to forgive them. I am going to give them, forgive them up front, by faith, ahead of time and let me tell you why that works it works because when that person comes to mind and when the hurt begins to rise up and you start to feel that anger so you can remind yourself oh yeah <laughs> I've already dealt with this you may even need to say under your breath as you start to have those feelings return oh they don't know me they don't know me they don't know me I know they're trying to rip me off emotionally. I know that they're hurting me. I know that they want to abuse me. I know that they want to take advantage of me. But they don't know me. They're forgiven. I refuse to build a case against them. Life's too short. And you walk away. Now, as you walk away, I'll just warn you, this is what's going to happen. Your mind's going to go, but what if? You know, and how come? But they did. And you'll have to pause and remind yourself, they don't know me. They don't know me. They're forgiven 
is God forgave me. Claire Barton, she was the founder of the American Red Cross, and she was at a social event, and someone came up to her who had known her for years and reminded her of a situation in her past where someone had hurt her, betrayed her, and abused her. And after they brought it up and reminded her of this circumstance, this individual, Claire Barton responded, oh yeah, oh yeah. I specifically remember forgetting that offense. That's what we're talking about. Oh yeah. I specifically remember canceling that debt. What's locked up in the vault of your life? What's the offense, the hurt? You say you've forgiven, but if I knew it and I were to mention their name, have you forgotten it? You got the sundown. Don't let it go past sundown. If you need to take a walk, take a walk. You got the sundown. If you need to take a drive, take a drive. You got the sundown. If you need to vent to your spouse or to a friend, then vent. You got the sundown. But listen, whatever you do, do not let it go another day. You cannot afford, your family cannot afford for you to carry around in your life unresolved anger. You must, not according to me, according to God's word, you must forgive immediately and you must forgive completely. You must unlock the vault and let it go. Otherwise, I'm just telling you, you run a risk that you just don't want to run. I mean, I'll just tell you, the longer you hold on to your anger, the more potential you have for sin in your life to just absolutely skyrocket. It'll take over. I've seen it change people's personalities. I've seen anger change people's countenance and how they actually look. You can't afford it. You say, Mike, <laughs> I hear you, I just don't think I'm there yet. You need to get there. But Mike, you have no idea how deep the hurt is. You need to get there. But Mike, if you knew my story, if you, you just don't understand. I don't understand. But I'm telling you, you need to get there. Because as Jesus said in Matthew 18, forgiveness isn't for the benefit of the person who hurt you. It's for our benefit so that we can unlock the vault. So we can forget, so we can deal with our anger once and for all. And finally, move forward in freedom. That song we sang this weekend, I'm no longer a slave to fear. How would you like to walk out of here this weekend no longer being a slave to your past? That's what God offers you. Let's bow together. Before I pray, let me just say, I, I know that whenever, whenever I discuss this topic, that my inbox is going to explode because everybody has a story. And I know what you're thinking, Mike, if you just knew my story, you, you, would, you would understand, Mike, that I am the exception to this rule. I can't find that. I can't find it.
You know, I think it's interesting that the last night Jesus was alive and John 13 says he had come from the Father and he was going to go back to the Father. Everything was in his hands. He could do anything he wanted to do. He had Judas sitting in the upper room with him, knowing that Judas was going to betray him. And Jesus washed his feet. I think Jesus was saying, it's not too late. It's not too late. I, I, I can't find any exceptions in the Bible. I wish I could. I'd cling, I'd cling to them, but I can't. So just save your email, save your story. And I would challenge you, make the decision. It's time to let it go. Not for that person's sake, for your sake. For your sake. And be free. Father, as we saw last week, and how in the world can we justify being loved, accepted, forgiven with all of our issues all of our sin and then turning around and judging people over things like skin color religious background how they dress what they do in the same way how in the world can we be forgiven by you of all of our sin our past our baggage the sins that we'll commit tonight the sins we'll commit this week and then have the audacity not to forgive those who offend us. Father, there are people here right now that have been living at the hands of the torturer because of their refusal to cancel the dead. May they find peace. May they find freedom in you this weekend. May you set us free. Set us free. In your name we pray.